0: Amen. Yeah. You guys are all the workers and we have a calling on our lives. And uh it's it's funny. Uh you're going to get to hear from just an amazing man, good friend and uh just friend of the house. And and I didn't we didn't really talk about this beforehand, but he's like, yeah, that was the the scripture that I had that I was going <laughs> to that I was using. So, uh, and I just literally just kind of dropped on me this morning like god this is this is on god's heart right now and so without further ado because you this guy has a lot to share and it's so good uh can you guys stand up and give robbie dawkins a big a big hand for for being here awesome bless you Thank you guys so much. Um, It's always a privilege to come here. Uh, I really, my wife and I really love this church. We really love these pastors and uh, just uh, have high value. You are truly, truly blessed people. And uh, you need to know that you are really, really blessed beyond measure to be in a place that has such a high value for the presence of God It's just so incredible. Um, I, 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 I just gotta sh- <laughs> I just got to share this with you i 'm adding something i shouldn 't really add, but I just got a text from I, just a <clears throat> earlier this year, I think it was back in April. I was invited to go to this uh, Southern Baptist Church uh, down in the southern part of Texas. And literally in the email uh, is this little church, maybe, maybe a hundred people. And uh, the pastor's like, we probably can't afford to bring you. I was like, to come to a Southern Baptist church, I would pay you <laughs> to come. <laughs> we totally wrote it off as a mission trip because they were just, you know, and, and in this part of Texas, it's, it's a really poor area. And uh, but those are places that are super dear, you know, to my heart. And uh, so I just was, <laughs> I was reading this text to Mike, and this guy was like, he goes, I'm gonna totally, um, he goes, I, I've already made the decision. He goes, if I if I bring you here, he goes, I'm totally prepared to be fired. Uh, he's 30 years old, and he said he keeps texting, so he keeps jumping up. So. But he said, uh, and so I went down there, and it, it was quite a stir. He was totally ready to be fired for this. And the Sunday morning, I, uh, I got up. And we had done this great teaching time, everything. But the Sunday morning, I got up, and he goes, what are you preaching about this morning? I said, Acts chapter 2. And he goes, I'm definitely getting fired <laughs> this morning. And... And so we got up, and I invited anybody who wanted to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues to come forward. And we had just a full altar. A bunch of people came forward, and his father stepped over to him and told him. His father was his main deacon. I didn't tell you that part, Mike. But his father stepped over to him and said, "I disown you. You are no longer my son. Don't call me dad anymore." He goes, "I'm done with you." And he goes, "And I," he said, "I'll work to get you fired." His own father. He sent me this text this morning. He says, he keeps texting, so he keeps bouncing back up. He says, Robbie, just so you know, my mom prophesied over every single person in the service this morning. (laughs) His dad is standing with his jaw dropped. And he says, and I love it because he says the deacon, that's his, de, the, de, the deacon is his dad. And he says down here, he goes, and by the way, that deacon who left back in May, well, he said, when I, when you preached in about uh, to, uh, preaching in tongues, he says, he just came back today and he's totally getting rocked and in tears. He's speaking about his father. Right. <laughs> so, and these guys are seeing absolute revival break out. They are hitting the, the, uh, the campus of, of A&M right beside them, and just incredible things are happening. Uh, and so it's just so cool, man. Let me tell you something. Stay with what the Lord is uh, telling you to do, and no matter what the opposition, never back up from it. Never back up from it. And I'll talk more about that this morning. Let me just say really quick, we've got uh, the resource table out here. If you're Uh, looking for anything to get equipped in, in areas of power gifts and stepping out and uh, bringing a demonstration of Jesus, what we call putting Jesus on display in your community uh, through signs and wonders and uh, sharing the gospel. We've got those out there for you. My first book, Do What Jesus Did, out there. Premise of the book is Jesus didn't come to show us what he could do. He came to show us what we could do. He was coming. I love how Bill Johnson says he didn't come as the second Adam. He came as the last Adam. And he came to show how the rest of us are supposed to live and the power and authority that we were originally given, that we gave away. All that being reinstated to us. So that's what that book's about. We have a workbook that is like going to school uh, called The Field Guide that goes along with that. And it is filled with activations. And I mean, this is literally like going to school. And it's filled with things, uh, steps, radical steps to push you out, to get out. Uh, and to see, you know, Transformation come. It has a DVD that goes with it. It's good for small groups or just you for yourself. And then something special for you guys. We have my my latest book, which doesn't come out till tomorrow. And this is the first place I've been able to release it in public. Uh, but uh, we've got Do Greater Things, which um, is, like I said, is, is released uh, officially tomorrow. We've got copies uh, back there. So if you want the, the latest book, my dear friend Sean Bowles, uh, wrote the uh, the forward for that, and just even even man, even some of the endorsements in here were just really moving and stirring uh, to me of just uh, what that i 'm going, okay, these guys actually read it, and they actually really got you know the the crux of the message in it so anyway, those are out there for you if you 're looking at it. and all of that stuff helps us do more stuff and missions, which is what I want to sort of give you a report on this church has been such a blessing to me and my family. And uh, you guys have held us up in prayer. Uh, as many of you know, uh, because of, of your commitment to prayer uh, for us, you know, we were able to, um, w- I went to Afghanistan uh, back in June. The Lord has spoken to me at the first part of the year. And I'm going to share with you basically a report about that because of your prayer uh, for that. But there's several things I want to I share with you in that. And uh, the Lord had spoken to me to go right in the middle of Ramadan, which is when all of the missionaries and Christians in, in the Muslim world, they tried to leave their countries at that time. Because if you kill a Christian in Ramadan, you get more points or whatever it is uh, in, in eternity. And so any persecution, any, any uh, martyrdoms that you can cause on believers during on Christian believers during Ramadan uh, get you more so it's the most dangerous time for Christians to be in Muslim countries. Uh, in 2014 uh, all of the Afghan believers refer to that as the year of death because there were more Christians killed during uh, 2014 uh, the ta- from the Taliban of course that's when ISIS began to move in and there was and you have to understand in, in uh, Afghanistan there's basically five different regimes that are that are after you as a believer. You've got ISIS, you've got the Taliban. There's Al Qaeda, and then there's uh, you know the police and the military. Literally, you have no place to run to for safety. There's no place to hide. There's no place to run. I mean, you're it is the most dangerous country in the world at this moment. And uh, what is what has been happening there though? Uh, and and when, I, when I was first talking with Afghan leaders there, underground church, Afghan leaders, um, they were all telling me, they said, we don't see healing here. We don't see, you know, we don't get words of knowledge. They said, you know, this is just, that stuff doesn't, doesn't actively work here. And I said, that's not true. I said, Some, there's something wrong, and I want to come help you. And they were concerned about it because they're like, you're a high profile person and if you get caught you know that could put you in danger it could put us in danger and i said well i'm willing to take the risk for myself i said but i just want to you know make sure and 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 come and help you guys equip you guys in release you know uh because again we want to see afghanistan following and trumpeting the gospel of jesus christ in the streets of kabul and in every city in afghanistan i believe with all my heart that can happen within 10 years I believe with my whole heart that can be, that whole nation could be turned around within 10 years. And that's going to lie on us. It's our responsibility. Let me tell you something. Now this is not, I am so for our troops and so for the US military and all that. But let me just, let me just tell you right now, this is not an issue that military action will ever resolve. They should do everything they're doing and I support it, everything. But it will not change that part of the world. The only thing that will change that part of the world is us equipping people there and going there and seeing them see the reality of Jesus Christ actively in hot pursuit of Him. And watching that happen, it will change. It will change that part of the world. The solution to ISIS is sitting in your seat right now. You and I are the solution to ISIS. It's only going to get a few claps. I know I'm already prepared and that's all right. If that offends you brace, we're going to get, it's going to get worse. We have been called. Let me tell you something. We were singing that Mike really just said it. I love that. We know that there's no mountain that will hold God back. He will cross any place. He will cross any place. Will we cross any, any territory? Will we cross any border? In pursuit of people knowing him. Will we, will we cross any sea? Will we put ourselves in any place? This, this How do we spell faith? Risk. R-I-S-K. R-I-S-K. That's, not a, that's not a phrase I coined. I stole it from John Wimber. And he probably got it from somebody else. But I'm going with it. I get a lot of credit for it. But it's just, I'm just quoting him. Here's the thing. We've got to move into a place of, of higher risk. What are we willing to give Jesus this next year? that we don't have to give, or that we're too afraid to give, but he deserves. What are we willing to give? We're bombarding him with requests to break through for us and our finances and our homes and our families and our jobs, but what are we willing to give? What are we willing to pour out? I want to introduce you to a little bit of my family, because I want to talk to you about an important message today, and I want to talk to you about... Living a legacy. Starting a legacy, living a legacy. Some of you are like, well, my life is, you know, I'm on the backside of my life and there's not enough time to start or, you know, that's not true. Start a legacy now. And what kind of legacy will we live? What kind of legacy will we leave? And I want to share with you a little bit about a legacy that I'm living and that was left to me. And I want to, I want to bring that to your attention is is before we get into sharing with you more i'll come back to the things about afghanistan let me show you a picture here this is milo douglas milo douglas was my grandfather he was uh, a scotsman who uh, had moved with his family they uh my great great-grandfather uh they had moved uh, to grand junction colorado so they were they were from colorado and uh, this picture was taken of him in grand junction this is in 1937. This is at the height of the depression, and all the farms around him were crashing, and were uh, not succeeding. They were they were failing. Uh, crops were dying. It was and and this is this is my grand my grandfather was a man who had who had committed himself to the Lord. His family was from Seventh-day Adventist. He'd gone to Seventh-day Adventist Bible College, but when he was uh, 18 years old, he, he and some other students at that Seventh-day Adventist Bible College started fasting and praying. They had a visitation of the Holy Spirit. They were all baptized in the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues. They got to the chapel service that next uh, week, and my grandfather stood up and began to prophesy in the midst. Of that uh, service, he began to prophesy about uh, coming war. He began to prophesy, the Lord began to show him things, and, and he stood up and for, went on for about 30 or 40 minutes prophesying. The, the, the pressure and the uh, persecution came out so strong against he and his fellow classmates that had been in that time of fasting and prayer until he ended up having a nervous breakdown and his sister had to come from Grand Junction Out to Nebraska to retrieve him and to bring him back because he physically couldn't even get on a train by himself because he had just so broken down because of all the persecution. My grandfather said this to his sister and to all the family. He said, I will never ever prophesy again. And he never did. Now that was a tragedy. But something had already started. Something had already, the wheels had already spinning. My grandfather went on, he planted four different churches. He built three churches, uh, you know, physically built the churches. Uh, He was a part of the Church of God denomination. But here he is standing in the height of the depression when all the other farms, my grandfather always trusted and believed God no matter what. And when everybody else had, you know, he would tithe, he would give faithfully when he didn't have it. It wasn't about what he had. It was what God deserved. That was how he lived his life. And in the height of the Depression, this is a picture of him. And this was a, this, these are potatoes, prized potatoes. A lot of people thought when they first saw them that they were uh, cantaloupe. But they're prized potatoes. And they, were, they won the state prize for the largest potatoes in 1937. In the height of the Depression, in the height of the Dust Bowl, in the midst of... Of all the other farms. The barn that he built there still stands in Grand Junction today. And the people that live around there, they refer to it as the old Douglas barn. And they talk about how that it'll never fall. It's been through. It's, the roof has never been replaced. The doors have never. Nothing has been updated on it, but it still stands. And that's because of Malachi. The Lord says, your barns will be full and overflowing. The house is gone. Everything else is gone. But that barn still stands. Why? Because God's faithful. God's faithful to what he says he'll do and promise. Let me show you another picture. This is my grandfather's ledger in 1939. When I was a little boy, he would sit over in the chair. He had had a stroke, and he would call me over. And he had that ledger by him all the time. And I didn't understand. I was like, what's that little black book you keep there, Grandpa? And he goes, that's my trophy. And I said, what do you mean? He says, this is a trophy of the faithfulness of God. And he says, this is my financial ledger throughout all the depression. And he goes, I can show you how God never failed and God was always faithful. And through there, you can see over and over, he would contribute to the church, he would contribute, He would contribute, and he would see, he would show where the, the income would come in from nowhere, even many times, but that God would bless despite, you know, that it didn't work out in the natural, but it worked out because God's faithful. And then he points point to this page in one place where it says missions, And it says, two cents. And he looks at me and he goes, Robbie, that's you. And I was like, two cents? (laughs) That's all I'm worth is two cents? And he goes, you don't know the story. And he goes, this two cents was very important. He says, you're here because this two cents was given at that time. And he goes, I want to tell you about the night I gave it. And he said, we were having a missions conference here in Colorado, our our denomination. And he said, it was the last night and we did not have enough money. Um, We'd only taken in half uh, uh, half of the amount that we were trying to get. And he goes, it was the last night, the last conference. And he said, your mother stepped up to the moderator of the service and said, may I say something? And he said, Robbie, she was only 10 years old. And he said, she stepped up to the microphone and she said... I would like to say something. And he said, okay. He goes, this is Milo's girl. you, You guys know he's a pastor in the area. And she said, I don't have any money to give. I'm just a poor pastor farmer's daughter. And she was holding the basket that they were taking the offering up. And she set the basket on the floor. And she reached over and she stood in the basket. And she goes, I don't have anything to give. So I give myself she said i will go to a nation where no one wants to go to and i will tell them about jesus and i'll go where no one wants to go and they took up the offering after that and they took up one and a half times what they were trying to get because a little 10 year old girl put herself in the basket and my grandfather looked at me and he goes let me tell you something son He goes, you were in her when she stood in that basket. And he said, you'll go to the nations of the world. He said, she wasn't just pledging herself. She was pledging every generation that would come out of her. Now, go to the next one, if you would. This is my mom in Japan, where she and my father went to be missionaries, where I was born. And these children would come running to the car every time she would come up. They called her the Jesus lady because she would tell them about Jesus. Go to the next picture if you would. This is all the hands that are raising to accept Jesus after she shares the gospel. You are looking at some faces in this crowd of little Japanese children that are now pastors and leaders of the church in Japan today. Why? 10 year old little girl stepped into the basket and gave herself. A legacy was started, a legacy that still lives. Go to the next one. Many of my sons are with me. They're not in here right now, but this is my oldest son, Judah, who has his hand on the gentleman there, and he's laying hands and he's praying for a gang member and leading him to Christ. He took out this group of young people to show them how to do power evangelism. And he's there praying for him and leading him to Christ in this picture. Now, if you back up a little bit before that, my son, just around this time, he was 17 years old when this picture was taken. And when he was 16, he was 15 and 16, he was getting beaten up nearly every day after school. And people would beat him for preaching. He would share and preach and they would beat him up. They would, he went through, all of my boys have been through Lots of persecution. Our city was one of the top 10 most violent nation, violent cities in the nation when we went to go plant the church. Everybody was saying, don't go. It's a big mistake. And they, people don't understand. It's like when we were going to Afghanistan, we're getting all these emails and messages of people you know, saying, you're worse than an infidel because you don't care for your family by going. And I'm like, you don't understand. All of your opposition is only affirmation for me. All of those emails, you know. I get a call from the CIA, you know, going, This is not wise, don't go. This is the wrong time. This is Ramadan. Do you understand? All these things, you know, you realize your life insurance won't pay out because you're going, you know, to a nation that's on the list of the State Department. They're not gonna, if you die, that's it, you know. And I told him, I said, or a mighty revival can break out and an entire nation, the most dangerous nation on the planet, can all come to Jesus. That's the alternative I'm working for. And the CIA guys, he, they don't tell you they're CIA, by the way. They tell you they're, they work for a, a government agency that uh, is, works internationally for security for uh, in the United States. And I'm like, CIA, I got it, okay. So he's sitting there saying this to me. And then I, when I said that, he goes, hang on. And he goes, and he's like, Mr. Dawkins, Mr. Dawkins. And he goes, hang on. And then I heard a click. And he goes, Robbie. He'd been calling me Mr. Dawkins this whole time. I said, yes. And he goes, I'm just telling you right now. He goes, I've read your book. And I said, which one? He said, do what Jesus did. He goes, you have to go to Afghanistan. And then I realized the click was him turning off the recorder. You know? <laughs> and he goes, you have to go. You have to go. He goes, you got to go. And then all of a sudden, click again. Now, you understand. You can't go, Mr. Dawkins. And then I, I was like, yeah, got it. Totally understand. Appreciate that still going but thank you but after after this let me show you another picture my son had been beaten he's been knocked out left in the middle of the road you know people wanted to kill this young man that you see this is my son and his daughter they've helped with worship here before but this young man standing closest to the camera his name is Ernesto Ernesto was Judah's best man at his wedding and Ernesto got up to toast Judah and he got up and he, he said, I mean, it was an incredible speech. And we were kind of a little nervous because Ernesto comes from the hood. And we were like, what's he going to say? What's it? He had he'd never done any real public speaking. And, and Ernesto got up and he just said, he goes, I want to tell you all that. He goes, I wanted to kill Judah. And he goes, I wanted him to die and I wanted to kill him. And he said, but all of us who beat him, all of us who persecute him, he said, Judah never stopped until he led every one of us to Jesus. And he said, I want to thank the Dawkins family because Judah saved my life. He said, I was involved in gangs. He goes, I would be dead if it wasn't for Judah. And the fact that he didn't stop. And we were all in tears and we sat there and I was like a legacy. This is the legacy of a 10-year-old girl stepping into the basket. A legacy that lives on. My son and daughter-in-law, their their dream, their plan is to to ultimately end up in China and planting churches in China. I mean, it's their heart's desire. Why? Because a legacy was started. Start a legacy. Start it with you. Go to the next picture if you would. This is me right outside of Mosul in Iraq. We had stepped into this restaurant, like the one remaining restaurant. You know, everything else was just decimated in that city. You know, where, you know what Mosul is in the Bible? Nineveh. Isn't that interesting? Mosul's in Nineveh. And so we were there. Uh, if, you, if We couldn't tag ourselves in any of the posts. But if you go to tag yourselves, it says the Nineveh region. Because you're you're right in where Nineveh was. And we walked in this restaurant, and this young man came, after being there only about 10 minutes, came over. I noticed he kept looking, kept staring. And I'm like, what is he doing? Like, what's wrong? Is he, you know, what's going on? You know, I mean, okay, we were the only white people there. I get that. But it was like, you know, what's going on? And he came running over, and he just looked, and he goes, what is it? And I said, what's what? He goes, what do you have? And I said, what are you talking about? He goes, as soon as you walked in this restaurant, I felt a wave of peace like I've never felt before. And he goes, I have to have that peace. He goes, what is it? I have to have it. And I looked at him and I said, that's Jesus. And I said, that's Jesus inviting you to a relationship. And he goes, who is Jesus? They have no clue, my friends. They they understand the mention of him in the Quran, but they don't understand who he really is. Because most of them don't even really understand what the Quran even says. And he says, who is Jesus? We sat there and shared with him briefly. And I said, I'm going to pray for you. You're going to feel the manifest presence of God come all over your body. And he did. He began to feel heat. He began to shake. He began to feel God's presence. And I said, now, do you want a relationship with this God, Jesus, who you know is in hot pursuit of you right now? And he said through tears, yes, yes, I'll do anything to have this. And right there, we prayed as he gave his life to Jesus. And as he lifted his head, tears streaming down his face, he goes, I got tables I got to serve. And he jumped up and he ran over to serve table. He came back and he goes, what is this? I said, this is peace beyond measure. This is the joy that Jesus brings. And he was bringing people out of the kitchen going, pray for him. He needs this too. And then he finally, before we left, he said, let me tell you what was going to happen tonight. He said, today I get paid. He says, I was getting paid. And he says, I was going to go home, give the check to my mother. And he says, then I was going to go out and kill myself tonight. He says, I'm in such torment and such agony and such misery. He goes, I was going to kill myself tonight. He said, but when you walked in, I felt this peace, this wave of peace that hit me like I've never known before. And he goes, right now I feel so much joy. Now, so many of us were like, oh, I want to do evangelism like that. Well, guess how that starts? By going out to everybody. You start going out, they'll start running to you. You go, they'll show. But you got to go. You got to go, they'll show up. They'll start coming. They'll recognize, they'll sense it. Go to the next picture. This is me and a friend of mine baptizing people in the underground church in Iran. This is in the northern portion of Iran. This is in last November. They'll kill you for this. These precious brothers and sisters are standing in this little pool of water. I mean, you have to realize this is how dangerous this is. Standing in this little pool of water and as we baptize them and we bring them out, they stand up dripping wet They raise their hands and they shout out, all of my living, all of my dying, every day from this day till that, all of it belongs to you. And I sat there and I turned to my friend and I said, they aren't just pledging to live for Jesus. They are pledging to die for Jesus. And this one man that we were baptizing, I asked him, we were just sitting in and talking, I was teaching them on deliverance and, and equipping them on that. And we just, I just said, how many times have you been arrested? He said, four times. And I said, four times? I said, I've never known anybody to make it a four. And he says, well, and the last time I was arrested, he goes, they made, I shared this with you when I was here before, he says, they made me sign my own death warrant. And I was like, really? And he says, yeah, and he goes, I told, he said, they told me, he goes, I was giving them permission to take me and hang me immediately. And he said, I pushed away from the table and I said, hang me now. Wow. He said, I can't stop and I won't stop. And he said, they just said, sign the paper. And he says, okay, but I won't stop. They're pledging everything to him. Oh my friends, what will we give to God that we haven't been willing to give yet? Go to the next one. As I was flying into... Cobble, the flight attendant came and said, Mr. Dawkins, would you like a magazine? And she handed me this magazine. And if you can't read the title on the bottom of the time, that's the president, the former president of Afghanistan. And it says Afghanistan is the front line. And I held that and I said, yes, Lord. I knew that was God saying, this is it. This is, this is your commissioning. See this as the front line. This is the front line of your ministry. This is the front line of what you're called to. Make this the front line of all of your efforts. And I was like, gladly, gladly. Four days before we went, they had the largest explosion that had happened there from terrorist attacks, not from you know bombs going off by military, but from terrorism uh, where the Taliban set off outside of the German embassy an explosion that killed 100 people, wounded over 200. And you have to realize the Afghan people don't want this. The majority of people that are dying in these attacks are Afghans. The most, the the nation that suffers the most terrorism is not the United States, is not France or a nation in Europe, it's Afghanistan. And we don't put their flag up in our posts of our social media to stand in them in solidarity because we see them as the enemy they're not the enemy they are the opportunity they are the opportunity for kingdom breakthrough but as we're as we're flying in she handed me this and i said yes lord that's it we're gonna see afghanistan for jesus we're gonna see afghanistan and i believe like i said before 10 years we could do it in 10 years but it's gonna take us all go to the next picture this is me in uh, Kabul. I'm still, I tried to go shorter this time, and I'm not doing it. This is me in Kabul, um, standing outside the Intercontinental Hotel. Go to the next picture. Just proof I was there, so you know it's real. This is us standing the first night there. We had done a brief little training, and one of the main guys who was my host, he goes, he says, now you gotta promise me that you're not gonna lead any, try to lead anybody to Christ while you're here on the streets. And I said, I told you I will not come unless we can go out on the streets. And he goes, you can go, but you're not going to have any Afghans with you to go. He goes, I can get you a translator, but that's going to be about it. He goes, the Afghans, the missionaries will go, but the Afghans won't go. It's just too dangerous. And I said, they'll go after the, my last part of the teaching. And he's like, no, they won't. They won't. And they, Every time we went out, Afghans went, by the grace of God. And this is where we were at. this, man, it's very dark for a reason, obviously. I'm trying, please don't take any pictures of this or anything like that, because we want to present. Even that can, you know, because clothing can be recognized. But the the what you see silhouette of the man's hat behind. He was just walking past while we were waiting for some Afghan ice cream, which let me say is the most strangest ice cream I've ever had in the world. But it was a form of ice cream. I looked at one of the guys with us and I said, "Hey, ask Jesus to give you something for this guy." And we'd not even really gotten into that part of the training with these underground house group leaders. And um, he goes, I, I don't know that I have anything for this guy. And, I, and a friend of mine that was with me from Switzerland, I said, I said, What about you? And he goes, Yeah, ask him if something, ask him if he's worried about his daughter. And so the guy, our friend says, He goes, Hey, his name was Ramin. He goes, Hey, are you worried? Uh, these guys are wanting to know if you're worried about your daughter. And the guy goes, how do you know about my daughter? Now, the word you don't want to hear in this part of the wor- world, in Iran, in Afghanistan, in Tajikistan, you don't want to hear the word kafir. Kofar means infidel. And if they shout out kafir, run. Because next comes rocks and stones and guns, you know. Uh, they're going to kill you. And so he, he stands and he goes, how, who, what do you know about my daughter? How do you know about my daughter? And I said to him, I said, tell him Jesus is showing us things about his daughter, showing to us things about his daughter. And he's like, he looks at me and he goes, I say that? And I said, yes, say that. And he goes, Jesus, showing them things. (laughs) He was like afraid to say Jesus out loud. You know, this can get you killed. And he says, he's showing them, you know, things about your daughter. And the guy stands and he looks like really angry. And I said, a matter of fact, there's something in her blood and it's killing her. And he goes, what? The guy's translating. He goes, what? I said, tell her Jesus is showing me there's something in her blood and it's killing her. And he says this and the guy even looks more angry and more. and, And the translator's like, we need to go. This is not going well. I'm like, this is going perfect. Stick with me. Stick with me. And I looked and I said, tell him. I said, it, I said, there's something in her blood. And he goes, my daughter has leukemia, which is cancer in the blood. And he's like, how do you know this? How and he's starting to get angry is starting to shout? And again, this is Ramadan. This is, like, we're, this is like a time you don't want to draw any attention. And he stands up and I said, call your daughter now because before the time you get home, your daughter is going to be completely healed of leukemia. And so he's like arguing kind of back and forth. At the time, the guy who was hosting us comes back with all the ice cream cones and he's like, what is going on, you know? <laughs> And i said call and so he calls his daughter's phone but his wife answers the phone and his wife is like shouting on the other end we could hear her shouting and he's and he's like going back and forth and and ramin was trying to catch up and tell us what was happening and he goes he goes his daughter's not there she he and he had told us he goes my daughter can't even go to the bathroom by herself we have to bring a pan for her to go to the bathroom she hasn't gotten out of bed and. Uh, two or three months and the doctor says she'll be dead in a month you know he was this is what's his arguing with it and so he's on the phone and he says he goes uh, ramin turns and looks and he says his he's saying that his wife answered the daughter's phone because three minutes ago and he goes about the time you said that his daughter jumped out of bed ran to the bathroom by herself went to the bathroom, came back, and it's jumping up and down in front of her mother, saying, it's gone, it's gone, it's all gone. And the man has tears streaming down, and this is a part of the world where there's just very emotional, very passionate. Tears are streaming down his face, and he looks at us and he goes, he goes, "How do you know this? How do? I said this is Jesus. He's inviting you to a relationship right now. Would you like to give your life to Jesus?" He goes, "I don't even know who Jesus is." But, "Yes, if he does this, I want a relationship." He said, "Come back to my house, meet my family." And I was like, "That could get you killed. Us coming to your house could get you killed." And I said, I don't want you to die. I said, but let's, let's we're going to pray for you. We're going to accept Christ. These guys are going to follow up. The end of the story, now in that guy's house, there's a house church with 12 people from the community that he and his daughter and wife have all led to Christ. And they are now six months later leading a house church in Kabul, Afghanistan in one night conversation that lasted about 45 minutes total. And destinies were changed. Will you step in the basket? Will you step in the basket? Go to the next one. Sometimes you're going to lose blood. Don't be afraid of that. I don't show you this picture to gross you out. We were out on the streets and I just asked this little short Afghan man if I could pray for him. And he's about that tall. And this dude pops me right in the nose, shouts Kofair and pops me right in the nose and runs away. I'm like, I didn't even think he could reach that high. He's like, and it hit hard. I felt something pop in my nose. I thought he broke my nose, but, and I still think he actually did. But I think the Lord healed it. Because in the, you know, the biggest fear I had in all this I didn't want my wife to find out. <laughs> scared about her. I told her, you can't take pictures. But we prayed, woke up the next morning, all the swelling was gone, all the bleeding stopped, Everything. but it was just bleeding like a faucet the night before. You know what that gained me with the Afghans? They came to me and they grabbed my hand and they said, now you're one of us. Now you've lost blood for this. Now we know you mean it. And I was like, if a bloody nose gets me that with you... I'll take more. I'll take more of those. Go to the next picture. The next night, we're out on the street, and we had some of the ladies. I'm going to tell you something. Afghan women who are Jesus lovers are the most dangerous people in the world. They are the fiercest human beings on the planet. The lady who was with us on this, they, the Taliban had broken into her house, strung her up by her feet, beat the bottom of her feet with boards, broke her feet, and then hit her in the head while she's upside down like a pinata. Hit her in the head with the boards till so she went deaf in her left ears. broke vertebrae in her back. She had to have reconstructive surgery. And that lady today is the most on-fire evangelist I have ever met in my entire life. She makes me and Todd White look like we're in kindergarten, man. I'm telling you that right now. She is on fire and unstoppable. Unstoppable. But uh, we are out and I said, hey, ask Jesus to give you a word for this man. She goes, I think something's wrong with his arm. So we pull over and he's riding a bicycle. And it was crazy because he, we, he, we pull, pull him over and said, hey... We think Jesus is showing us there's something wrong with your arm, and he wants to completely heal your arm. What's wrong with your arm? And he holds up, and it's a nub. His arm had been blown off because he stepped on an IED, and it blew off his arm. And we were like, cool! We're going to see a creative miracle. We're going to see a whole hand and fingers sprout out of this nub. This is going to be awesome. And so we're praying, commanding. It doesn't happen at all. But we stopped and I said, finally, after praying for that nub like 10 times, I said, what about your other arm? I said, is there anything wrong with that? And he goes, you mean this one? And he holds up and his hand is like a claw. And I said, you can't open your fingers? He goes, no. And I said, what? He said, well, the nerve damage from the IED caused damage where I can't open this hand either. And so I looked at, at the lady and I said, say this in Farsi, say in the name of Jesus, stretch out your hand right now and be healed. And she goes, do you have a word from God about that? I said, no, just say it. You don't need a word. Use authority. And she goes, in the name of Jesus, stretch out your hand and be healed right now. And his hand just went straight out. He started moving his fingers. And I was like, now, wait a minute. You couldn't open your hand before, right? And he goes, no, no, I couldn't. he goes, I can't believe it. He started crying. And we stopped and we said, that's Jesus. He just introduced himself to you. And he wants a relationship with you. What do you want to say to Jesus? And he goes, Yes, who is he? And we told him about Jesus and he prayed and he accepted Christ and he was like, I can't believe this, tears streaming down his face. And I grabbed his hand and I kissed his hand and he grabbed my hand, and kept kissing my hand. I said, no, 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 it was her. And that's important in the Muslim world that he knew it was this woman. I said, it was her, she has power and authority that Jesus gives her. And there's now a group meeting in that guy's house as a result of that. My friends, this is the solution to ISIS. They were all saying, they were coming to me with their Bibles and holding up acts. And they go, it still works, it hasn't stopped, It still works. And I said, yes, and it's still alive. It's still functioning to this day. And guys, we don't understand. The freedom that we have, the freedom, we've just come out of Christmas. Let me tell you something. Never, never choke on saying Merry Christmas. This trip for me, I just, I'm, I'm only telling you about the first trip. I just got back two weeks ago from Afghanistan from the second trip. I wanted to make sure they knew I'm in this with you. I am not just coming in for one trip, spiking the ball, going, I did it and leaving. I'm with you. And I want to go back in another six if, if, if I can make that work. But I, we, they sit there. They would come at the door. This is in December. And tears would be in their eyes. And they would look around and they would grab my hand and they would grab everybody else. and They would be like, Merry Christmas. He was born. And he still lives us. Merry Christmas. Whispering it. Because they didn't want to get shot for saying it. And we change the words because we don't want to be offensive to culture. Don't back off from that. We were even in this little store, and it was a little toy store. I was trying to find some things for my boys, and, and we were in the store, and I looked up as words. Well. I mean, the toys there were just horrible, i got to be honest. They were just kids there. They, don't, they, they play with sticks and rocks. You know what I mean? Nobody has a toy. You know what I mean? We were in this toy that they're all made of paper. I'm like, that'll be gone in three seconds if I take that back to my kids. And I look up in the corner, up in the slight corner, and I look, and there's two sticks tied together with twine in the shape of a cross. And I looked up, and I'm like, there's a cross. This is a nation. There's no steeples. There's no signs. There's certainly, you know, no, you know, um, Star of David's or crosses or any, you don't see any Christian reference, anything like that, anywhere. And I see this cross, and I went to the owner, and I said, is that a cross? And he grabbed my hand, and he spoke English, and he goes, oh, and tears filled his eyes, and he goes, we love Jesus here. We love Jesus here. We just don't know much about him, but we love him here. And I just lost it, I was like, ah, this is the cry of Afghanistan. They want Jesus. They want Him. They're hungry for Him. They're hungry to encounter Him. The last day, I was like, I told the leader, I said, we will go out. And I said, but the last day, I don't mind, all the times we're at night, we're hiding behind cars and dark alleys. I said, no more. The last day, they had just two weeks before police officers had walked up to a guy who was a Christian out on the streets in one of the most populated parts of Kabul. They pulled out a pistol and popped him twice in the head, killed him right there. And they said they knew he was a Christian. He'd done nothing wrong, nothing. And I said, the last day we are going to the very spot where they killed our brother two weeks ago, and we're going to lead people to Christ at that very spot because we are going to let the enemy know Kabul belongs to Jesus you can't stop it. This nation, this ground belongs to God. And I said, we're putting that stake in the ground. And the leader says, he goes, there's none of the Afghans will go. And I said, they will after that last day teaching. Because the last day I was teaching on Acts chapter two and the day of Pentecost and welcoming it to come. One of the main leaders there who was, he was angry. He goes, You're going out on the streets. He goes, You'll get us all killed. I mean, he's hollering at me at the beginning of the meeting. And I'm just like, Yes, sir. Yes, sir. There's no argument. Well, I, I live, I have a warm bed in the West. What am I going to say to this man whose life is on the line every day? I'm just, Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I understand. I understand. And they said, Can we just pray for the Holy Spirit to come? Holy Spirit comes, first guy to the ground. Bam! I look over and it's him. And he's like stuck around and he's lifting his head. He's like, Dawkins, what have you done to me? <laughs> and he's like, I can't even lift a finger. What is it? He goes, there's this bubbling in my stomach. I don't know what it is. I said, oh, dude, you're about to speak in tongues. He goes, what? That stuff you're... And he's like erupting into it. It was like a geyser shooting out of his mouth, man. And it was like hitting every... As he began to do it, everybody started speaking in tongues. I didn't even speak in tongues in front of them yet. And they were just all speaking in tongues. And then afterwards I was like, now, how many of you wanna go to that place they killed our friend and do this? They're like, yes, I'll go. (laughs) Why? That's what happens when you have the power of the Holy Spirit. History, the History Channel, I love it. They did a story on the church, the early part of the church. And you know what they dubbed Pentecost? The day cowards became courageous. And I was like, yes, the day cowards became courageous and we're sitting there and they, and we took them out on the streets, man, and they were ready to go. And we, and we pulled up outside this vegetable stand and I said, there's a boy there. And I said, something's wrong with his foot. And we pulled up and we had Darren Wilson that sent a camera crew. Now the crew didn't come. Only one cameraman had the courage to come on it. Uh, but the crew, but the, he sent the crew to go with us, so it'll be in the next film and Finger of God too. You'll get to see scenes uh, in Afghanistan uh, with us. Obviously, the faces will all be blurred, but we're there and and we stop and and I said I got out and I said this boy I says something's wrong with your leg. He goes, yeah, my leg's injured. I said, and he's about 15 years old. I said, Jesus is about to completely heal your leg. And we prayed for his leg. His leg was completely healed. And as I told my friend Muhammad, I said, Muhammad was my translator. I said, put your hand. Muhammad, by the way, is a pastor. Can you imagine? Pastor Muhammad. But everybody's named Muhammad in that part of the world. It's like saying Bill, you know? So they, he puts his hand on, on his chest. And as soon as he did, and I put my hand on his chest, so you could feel just his skin like jumping under, under my hand. And I said, is this a condition you have? And he goes, no, this has never happened to me before. And he said, it didn't start until you reached out and touched me. And he said, there's a peace I feel right now like I've never felt before. And over and over, each person we prayed for, they were like, what is this peace? What is this peace? What is this peace? And so we prayed for him. And, and as we said, Jesus, about 10 people came out from around these shops and came out for no reason. They couldn't have hurt us. And they came out, and then we said it again, Jesus, and about 15 more came out. And the Afghans were saying, are you noticing every time we say Jesus, people start coming, even though they can't hear it? And I said, yes, that's because their spirits are crying out for him, even though they don't know who he is. They're just waiting for somebody who has him to come, and to tell them, and to share with them. And they started coming, we finally had about 25 people and people are getting healed. And, and then all of a sudden, my friend's like, we gotta get out of here, there's just too many people, the police are gonna come for sure." And we turn around and there was a police officer standing there with a pistol drawn, pointed right at me. And he goes, you're Christians. He said, you're praying. And I said, yes. And he goes, you're Christians. And I said, yes. And my friend Mohammed said, don't say that. <laughs> and I said, yes. And he goes, I know because Muslims don't pray for people like this. And he's holding this pistol at me. And I said, you're right. I said, we're just sharing the love of Jesus here. And he goes, you can go. And I was like, did he just say we can go? And he says, go, go, get in the car now, go. And so we're scrambling to get in the car and he's standing there and the people are like, but wait a minute, wait a minute. I said, Jesus is going to reveal himself to you. Jesus, I said, we have to go, but he's going to. And my friend, my is like, you're going to get a shot if you keep saying this out. The police officer's right there. As we drove away. And I thought, man, now, now they won't go with me anywhere. <laughs> we're driving down the road. They were like, did you see that? Did you see that? People came running as we said the name of Jesus. And they're like, we got to go here. We got to go there. We got to go. Let's go. Come on, let's go. And I was like, yeah. I'll skip through a bunch of stuff. We get to the last place, the last day. Let me, before I do that, let me show you this one picture. Go to the very last picture, if you would. I wish I could show you his face. I'm a little giddy in this picture, as you can tell. But you're looking at a former Taliban leader who's now a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. I told the guys there, I said, you don't realize how... This is like leading the Apostle Paul to Christ. (laughs) This guy used to kill Christians. And now, and I've never seen anybody as on fire as this guy. Even recently, they took his son and they took his son hostage. And we helped get him out. And in his family, his son, his father said to them, he said, take me instead. You can kill me instead of my son. His 15-year-old son. He said, let my son go. You can kill me instead. Because that's really why they were after him. He'd become a Christian. And they said, no. We'd rather do it to your son. But there, there was a, unfortunately, and I've never done this before in my life. So it's the first time ever. My wife can attest to that. We helped pay the ransom, got him out. And his son says, he goes, why didn't you leave me there? He said, I was this close to leading so many of them to Christ. And I was like, Ah. What'll change? Afghanistan, right there. That's what'll change. Afghanistan. You can pull that picture off. Let me tell you one more thing. We were at the last place, and I'm sorry, I'm going, going over time. We were at the very last place, and I we were going to the place where they where they killed our brother, and we were praying for a guy whose leg was shorter than the other. And this is like the most popular. There's cars, people everywhere. And I was praying for it, and the legs growing out, the cameraman's got the camera right over, getting a shot of the leg moving. And then all of a sudden, we heard, stop. And we turned around, and there were two military officers with AK-47s, and they were pointed right at us. And, they, and then one of the guys grabbed the camera, and he started looking through. Now, our plan was that if, we got, if somebody came to take us, that we would pull the card out of the camera, because we didn't want them to have the evidence of all the people we had led to Christ. And I looked at Mike and I said, did you pull the card? And he goes, Robbie, I didn't have time. He said, they have evidence of everything we've done here. And I'm like, Mike, all those people will die. They'll kill them all. And then we were just like, oh, you know, just heavy hearted. And they are looking through and he points it to, and the guy's got the gun and he goes, yep. And he, point, he raises it up even higher. And now he's pointing five feet away from me, that AK-47 right at my heart. And I just looked at him, and I knew, I like, we're about to die. I need to forgive this man. And I extended my hand, and I didn't even think of the words I was saying. But I said, I release to you the peace of Jesus Christ. Have you ever seen, any of you seen the movie Crocodile Dundee? You know where he's with the water buffalo? And he's like, hmm. As soon as I said those words, I released to you the peace of Christ. The guy just turns his head to the side and he goes, you can go. And I was like, what? And he said, you can go. And the other guy's like, but look at what they're doing. I can see it. he was there leading people. He was the word he was using in their language was we were proselytizing. They're proselytizing. And he said, give it back to them and let them go. And he handed it back and, the, and my friend was like, get in the car, let's go. And we jumped in the car. And as we were driving away, the Afghans were weeping. And they were like, we've been fighting for so long, thinking we were all on our own. But they said, All oh, today, we saw our great warrior king fighting on our behalf. And warring with us as we were standing doing his work. He's fighting with us on our behalf. Our great warrior king hasn't abandoned us here in Afghanistan. And I was tears streaming down my face. And my friend Mike, who was a cameraman for Darren's uh, company, he grabs my shoulder and he goes, Robbie, you know what you've done here today on this trip? And I said, what's that? And he says, you've imparted to these people boldness. He says you've been part of them boldness because you were willing to put your life on the line to show them it still works. Skipping past so many stories. Will you step in the basket? Will you give something that you don't think you have to give? Will you step in the basket. And be willing to say all of my living, all of my dying, every day from this day to that is yours. It all belongs to you. Live a legacy. Leave a legacy. Bow your heads. see, when we were releasing peace, this is a kingdom where peace is a weapon of mass destruction. This is a kingdom where love is a weapon of mass destruction. Joy is a weapon of mass destruction. Go all in, my friends. Don't hold back in fear anymore. Go all in. This trip helped me, this church helped me go on that trip. You sowed into that, now sow that into your community. And if you're just here and you're just saying right now, I wanna step in the basket. I'm not talking about the step of salvation. I'm talking about just saying, I'm not going to hold back any longer. I'm not going to be somebody who worries what other people think or what other people feel or what it can cost me. If that's you, just stand right now. You may be stepping in the basket with your finances. You hear the story of a farmer pastor in the midst of the greatest economic difficulty of this nation, yet trusting in the faithfulness of God. It may be with your family. It may be with your reputation. Oh, but my job says you can't share the gospel at work. Well, the Afghans here from the government, they're not allowed to do it there either. Who's Lord? Go all in. Holy Spirit, ignite our hearts. This is not a safe Church never been. You're a church of risk. Live the risk. Live the faith. Give everything you have, everything you are, for the sake of the kingdom. Put Jesus on display in this